Welcome to the Godly Manhood Podcast, where we seek to encourage men to consider how they can grow in godliness as men, husbands, and fathers by sustaining themselves with God's Word and applying it in their daily lives. My name is Emory Phipps. I'm a student minister at Koinos Church in Troy, Ohio. And I'm Brian Barnes. I'm an elder and life group leader at Koinos Church. So this week, uh, it's a little different. Why don't you go ahead and open us up on this one, Brian? Since this week's going to be a little different. So um, in prior weeks, if you've been listening, you know, we've been kind of digging into some theo- theological staples, talking about God's Word, talking about our testimonies, talking about, you know, repentance and, and church and all these, these important things. But we're going to shift gears a little bit tonight and talk about leadership. Godly men lead. Godly men are called to lead. Godly men are tasked uh, with doing hard things with leading their churches, with leading their families, leading in the workplace, in their friendships, and in their communities. Godly men are called to bring light into dark places, and we have to approach that bravely. We have to do it firmly. We have to do it uh, with a posture of confidence that we are sons of God. Uh, we are to be godly men in all circumstances, and and we are called to lead. So leadership is is a super... I don't know, it's something I'm passionate about. I have been for a long time. It's something I'm interested in. I've read many, many books, uh, listened to many, many smart men talk about leadership. But I have found in my experience that nothing has prepared me to lead better than really, really hard circumstances. Being forced into the fire to figure it out. And the thing that has helped me more than anything in all of that is turning to God, turning to God's word, and turning to other godly men who are in my life to lean on them, to look to them for advice and wisdom, uh, for counsel, for prayer, and to be poured into by men who have been there before. And that has, that has helped me more than anything else. So tonight we're going to talk a bit about leadership. I'm sitting in a room right now with two men who Emery and David both have spent considerable amount of time in the armed forces and been crafted by the U.S. government, I'm sure with excellence and precision to become absolute executors, uh, leaders, right, David? Yes, absolutely. 17 years as an operator. Are you ready to go? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Listen, so, you know, leadership looks like a lot of things. I've certainly spent a lot of time in the corporate world reading about and applying, you know, leadership principles there. You've had that experience in the military. Emory has led countless ministries, uh, political campaign work that you've done. You lead a family of 1,400 children. Uh, You know, we, I think, between the three of us have had to lead, have been led well and led not so well by others. And I thought it would be a worthwhile task. So let me me kick it out with a question. We'll start here, and I want to get both your take here on this topic. In your opinion, boys— are are leaders born or are leaders made? What do you think? Go ahead, Emery. I'm like, we haven't talked about this at all before we started. So now I'm like, man, am I getting ready to get shot down? Not at all. It's an open question. Are leaders made or are leaders born? Definitely made. Okay. I like it. Why do you think that? Yeah, you know, part of it for me is life experience, I guess. I, I just think that we're we're molded by the people who mold us and so as I look at my you know, upbringing, and I, I served with some really good Marines that had really crazy backgrounds that that were amazing leaders in spite of how they were brought up yeah. and what their examples were through childhood. 
But when they came into the armed forces, they had someone who poured into them and helped them grow, helped them recognize. They were teachable. They helped, they, they helped them recognize, hey, these are things that, man, if you don't, if you don't get fixed, you're not going to be a good leader. You're not going to make it here as a leader. So we're going to pour into you. I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to help you see that about yourself and help you grow so that you can be the leader, the best leader that you can be in spite of you know, whatever daddy issues and other stuff that you got going on. Whatever you were born into, whatever you were born with. Yeah, because not everyone, I mean, frankly, I haven't talked about my dad a lot here, but I had a really good upbringing. I had a good dad, a, a godly dad um, that was an Army First Sergeant who took a lot of time to help me before I went into the Marine Corps to help me like learn how to be a leader in the military before I got in, before I even went to boot camp. So I had the experience of having someone who cared enough to take that time to help me learn how to lead before I went into the military and, and found myself in leadership positions, but not everyone had that. Yeah. And frankly, my dad did a pretty good job, but there's Marines who saw potential in me and poured into me immensely too. It wasn't like my dad was like, Oh, this one's done. Let's send him in there. He doesn't have to learn anything more. You know, one of the people that, you know, sometimes I've done some things in, in leadership things within church leadership and like ministry leadership where they'll say, hey, look back at your life. What are some places where you see that God acted in a specific way in your life? And one of the, I mean, he may not listen to this, I don't know, but um, Sergeant Major now, but uh, Sergeant Damon K. Sanford was the Marine who, he was a corporal at the time and he was one of my, my first squad leader and just kind of pulled me under his wing and said, hey, this is what you're going to learn. Stop doing that. Like he straight up told me, like, stop doing that. You will not be able to be a leader if you keep on that path. I'm going to teach you. So that's helpful. So guys, like, so that that all leads me to say my limited life experience. Sure. From where you sit, I've never met a born leader. There are people who have personality traits that lend themselves, I think, to yep. leadership. I don't think anybody's born a leader, though. Okay. David. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna combat that a little bit because I think the answer of born versus made is is yes. I think there is that intrinsic attribute that somebody has. That's going to allow them to develop the skills to become a leader versus somebody that I know people that have been in leadership roles for 10, 15, 20 years that couldn't lead their way out of a out of their own house. So I, I think it, it is something that you have to be born with the ability to speak to people and have the compassion. Yep. James three, verse one says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I think that's a, a key verse. Not everyone can, and being taught sometimes just isn't enough. No, totally fair. And I, I would I would say I agree with that. Like th putting it that way for sure, because I've witnessed that we both for sure witnessed these guys who were there for twenty some years, and they have the the title and, and not too many brain cells to go along with it. Um, yeah, so definitely. you can earn roles in the military that you don't deserve. Oh, straight up, man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can, the military, there's a saying, you can respect the rank, but that doesn't mean you respect the person. Okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I tend to fall again. Like this isn't a test. You know, I tend to tend to agree with what David just said. I think some people are born with attributes of leadership, uh, being comfortable naturally to talk to people is a thing that you're born with. Right. I think that, that, you get two kids in the same household. My, my sister and I are an example of this. When we were little, my dad used to have to make up tasks for her to go talk to people because she was so nervous to go talk to. Like to, So he'd say, 
we'd go to McDonald's and he'd be like, go up there and ask her for some more ketchup. And that would just melt her. She'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, she'd have to like rev herself up to be able to go speak to a person. She and I grew up in the same household and I've been, you know, I've had the gift of gab since I was in diapers, you know? So, so some of that is intrinsic. Some of that is, is, uh, is certainly your nature and you're born with some of that, but what you do or don't do with that is completely a learned uh, behavior to Emery's point. I think that, that there's a, a process of development that has to happen to make anybody a good leader or a great leader. And there's a selflessness there uh, that you either have to have or you have to learn to love it to be able to put other people or put the mission before yourself, uh, caring more about the outcome uh, or, or the good of the person or the good of the group more than than your own selfish ambition in that moment. And, you know, leaders have to be disciplined. Some people are naturally more disciplined than others. I was not a disciplined person most of my life. But as I got older, I began to love it. And I began to to pursue uh, discipline in my life in a lot of ways. I mean, some of it was getting healthy. Some of it was getting serious about reading my Bible and going to church. Some of it was getting disciplined about being a, a godly man and husband, you know, running long distances for fun, you know, all kinds of like stupid worldly versions of discipline as well. But all of that uh, helped sharpen me as a leader as I got older. And uh, that was not in me. You know, that had to be developed. I think about some of the leaders that I have seen do it really well. Maybe in the church context, for the purpose of this podcast, maybe we can just kind of think through in your life. It you know what? Scratch that. Not just in the church context. Who in your life, when you think back, has made a strong impact on you in some capacity as a leader? The men who, who poured into your life, who invested in you, saw something in you and wanted to invest in that young man to bring him far, to help grow him. Were there men like that in your lives that, that you think of right away? Emery, I think your dad probably is first and foremost in your life. Yeah, for sure stands out. I didn't do a lot of sports or anything in school because we moved a lot. So I can't point to like this coach or this person. Just that that's where my mind went. It was like, well, who other than, there were people other than my dad, obviously, but really, frankly, most of them were in the church in some way. Yeah, me Even too. though I wasn't a believer, they they poured into me. They either were teaching me in some way. They paddled me when I needed it. Literally? Literally paddled me when I needed it, and especially in the Christian schools. I may have the record for most attentions. Most paddles? <laughs> the least amount of paddles, but most attentions. Okay. In my sixth grade year. Uh, that was a contest that was really dumb. But yeah, like, guys like that, like as I got into high school, I was getting ready to go in the Marines. I had a teacher, uh, Mr. Romans in high school, who just, you know, little things, just little things. Like he's, he, it was kind of like that mentality of, I see in you. So he saw something where, hey, I'm going to foster this a little bit. I'm going to pour into him a little bit. And and it wasn't a lot. Like, I didn't get to see much, but I was like a teacher's assistant. So there was, like, responsibilities he gave me. He said, hey, no, you can do this. Hey, I trust you to do this. Yeah. Um, I value your input on this thing. Um, so things like that. And that were, made were you big. feel probably Some very, confidence. very confident, right? Like, or it made, made you feel seen, made you feel worth Probably. Yeah. I'm yeah. For sure. For, you. for sure. No, you're, you're spot on. And I think that goes back to what I said initially. Like, those are the things that when I say I had some intrinsic qualities, like I was, I talked a lot. I was kind of like got along with everybody. I was a little bit of a class clown, but I wasn't afraid to do certain things either. So I was like, okay, hey, this person has the confidence in me to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, I don't have, to, I'm not going to second guess it. I'm just going to try to just go do it. And if I mess up, I think that's the other thing too. I just wasn't afraid to fail. Like, I can really mess this up and it's going to be embarrassing and I may never hear the end of it from especially Marine buddies, Yeah, but I'm going to go do this thing because someone has said, Hey, we trust you in this capacity 
sometimes life or death capacity to make these hard decisions. So we want you to do it and we're going to teach you to the best of our ability, but we're just going to encourage you and push you kind of like mama bird pushing the bird out of the nest, like kicking them in the pants and we'll hey, see. figure it out. We'll see what happens. Yeah. David, what about you? Have you who in your life, uh, childhood, adulthood, whatever, uh, has has invested in you in that way as a leader? My squad leader, when we first went to Iraq, and then he ended up being my platoon sergeant in Afghanistan, and then my first sergeant after that. So I was with him for 14 or 15 years, and he was a 100% atheist. He was completely different from me in pretty much all aspects besides the infantry part. But since day one, he he took a liking to me, and he was not afraid of being a leader. Uh, there are a lot of leaders that want to be friends, and sometimes you got to step outside that and lead. When that comes to the punitive stuff, so he would he would ride me pretty hard and make sure that I did what was asked of me. But he did it in a way that was not demeaning. But I learned something every time, and I continued to make mistakes. And he would punish me for it, but I continued to grow and to grow and to grow. And he was he was the kind of leader that you could go talk to about anything. Never had to, to worry about any kind of backblast from him. But I would talk to him about the gospel when I was a 19-year-old kid, not knowing how to talk to somebody about the gospel. Wow. And he would listen. He didn't agree with it, but he would listen. And, and that's something that is very hard to find, especially nowadays, is somebody with a differing opinion that's still willing to help you and, and lead you along. And I was, I was an 18, 19-year-old kid. I think good leaders listen. Yeah. I think 100%. you just hit you just hit on something right there. I think it's critical. If we're gonna be godly leaders, you have to listen to the people that are hurting, listen to the people that are uh, coming to you, listen to the lost people, listen to the the young men who you're building up and working on and investing yeah. in. We have to listen. Yeah. And genuinely listen. Not just not just to give them some ear service. Right. And just be like, oh well, let me stare at this wall while they're talking to me because I really don't have any desire to to, to listen to this whining that might be going on right now, but just saying, hey, look, you know, trying to have a little bit of empathy, even when they're really stupid. Yeah. Which is difficult. But then just, just genuinely listening, not trying to craft some question in the moment of their discussions because you're trying to guide the conversation entirely. It's like, no, I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And I'm going to try to learn from it as I do this because I think there's a humility that you have to have to be able to say, hey, I don't have all the answers. I may not have the answer to this really hard question you're asking me right now, but I'm willing to work to try to help you if you're willing to you know, show me some grace as I go do that, but also listen to me. And my time is not wasted in this in any way. Even if you don't do what I do, you'll at least consider, or what I say to do, you'll at least consider it. Yeah, the, the leaders that have impacted me the most made me feel heard and sought my opinion on things that maybe they didn't need to hear. Um, as a young man, a new believer, just hungry for the gospel and hungry to, to grow in God's word, a lot of the elders at our church, pastors at our church, were quick to take me under their wing and, and ask me hard questions and point me in that right direction. They, they would ask, you know, the pointed question, not just how's work, how's your family, but how's your soul? Mm. You know, what, what, what are you dealing with? What are you reading? Who are you leading? How are you feeding your soul? All these, these really important, you know, questions because— leaders are able to take themselves outside of that equation and look at the people whom they're caring for in that capacity and take a real interest in those people and in their well-being and in their outcome. And, and the people that you're leading can tell when you genuinely care about them, when you genuinely want good for them, when you're rooting for them, when you want to, when you see them win, it feels like you're winning. Mm. 
You know, the, the, those are the kind of men that that change people's lives with the, with their their input. And those are the men who have changed our lives. The men who took interest in us. I I can tell you, never in my life would I tell you I'd, I'd see myself being a, an elder, you know, pastor at a church. That that's crazy to me when I think about it. Uh, when it was brought up initially by the the leaders, the elders of our church to say, hey, we think that you're kind of on this track and we, we want to work with you and help you develop and grow as a leader because we think that we see that calling in your life. I just remember saying like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm super busy. I got a lot of other stuff and that's that's not me. But they saw that calling in my life before I did. And they said, okay, maybe not, but will you come do this study on systematic theology with us? Will you come read these books and talk about it with us? Will you lead a study on this thing? Because you you might not see it yet, but we do. And good, godly men who lead well are quick to point out what they see in others and encourage them in that and push them and get them uncomfortable sometimes to help them grow. And that that's what we ought to be doing and looking for those young men in our lives who we could be pushing that way. And I think a big part of that is, and Dave, maybe you can speak to this too, but I don't know, as, as a Marine, you know, I was nine years in the Marine Corps. As I got into leadership, if someone could do something better than I could, I wasn't afraid to let them. Absolutely not, no. Yeah, like, like you— no, you are better at this than me. You are going to have this task. I trust you to do this because, and, and I see the same thing within ministry. Like, hey, there's people like, I'm not the guy to plan your party to do things, but there are people who are good at it. There's people who understand sports more than I do. So I'm going to have you come in and do the, and I'm not just referring to just those things, but like being willing to let, and I think in a church environment, you can see this done really poorly where somebody who may be in leadership says, well, yeah, I've been here a long time. I don't want to give this control up because this person may make me look bad because I haven't done that in the 12 years that I've been here. Right. And it's like, no, man, like you're, you're hurting from a church perspective. You're hurting the church from your home perspective. You're hurting your household. If there's somebody within your home that just is better at something than you, your, your work relationships, all of those places that all ties in. But I think being willing to be teachable yourself, and part of that is just being humble. And I think yeah. Scripture points us to to Christ in that. You know, Matthew 20 is a verse that I had written down. Uh, Matthew 20, 26, it says, It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you, you must be your, must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we have this perfect example of humility. Yeah. And the ultimate man who is also God to demonstrate that for us. Yeah, and think about the authority with which Jesus acted in a human sense. So people flocked to him. People wanted to hear him speak and preach and teach. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to see him and touch him and feel him and and know him, and certainly it was because he was God. But the way that he approached those people, I think there's a lot for us to observe there as disciples, as followers of Jesus. We ought to look at his example and see the humility with which he led with. That posture was incredible. You know, humble in all things, but king, you know, seated at the right hand of mm. God. He is a mighty king, a judge of the living and the dead. And yet he came to serve and not be served. And we ought, we ought to learn a lot from that. There's a verse, Titus chapter two, verse seven, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. There's a lot of really good leadership verses, particularly in Paul's letters 
that you can see the, the, the tone that Paul takes as he's writing letters to these young men, these church leaders, to these churches all around the emerging uh, new Christian church. He does a lot of things there. As a leader, Paul was quick to point out when somebody was screwing up and say, hey, get, get, get your life together. We started 1 Corinthians this week in Life Group, and there's going to be a lot of that going on. He was quick to encourage the other men, the young leaders who were coming up behind him to, to tell them they were doing a great job to pray for those men to encourage those men and, and you know, quick to, to tell them where there might be trouble that they don't know about. Hey, look, there are going to be these teachers who come in and they're going to be telling you all kinds of things. And it sounds sweet to your ears. They're going to try to lure you away from the, from the real teaching, the true doctrine. So, you know, there are countless biblical examples of godly leadership. And Paul, I think, is as good a leader there. Certainly Christ is the, the pinnacle, but Paul's a great leader there to look at as well and kind of see how he handled leading the church well in his time. And I think I think one thing you have to think about as a leader is who are you leading and and are you setting them up? One of those attributes of a good leader is that he he's not going out there purposely trying to make more and more leaders. He wants to be the example where those leaders organically come from the way that he acts as a man and the the way that he talks about scripture and talks about God. The leaders should just be built off of the way that he carries himself. If, he, if the leader is going out trying to make more leaders, more than likely he's going to fail. But when it comes organically and your integrity and the person that you are in Christ. The example. Yeah, it, that, that should just flow. And those leaders are going are gonna to catch on that and they're going to build their leadership style off of that. Now that's where character, I think, comes into play in so many ways. I think some of the people we've seen in recent years that have faltered that, that started out were given a platform quick and have either deconstructed or come out saying some really crazy things. There's, there, there wasn't like a test of character. There wasn't enough time. You know, that's why, you know, Paul lays out these qualifications for elders. They shouldn't be new believers. You know, I think those th same things, these, so many of these principles that are in scripture apply to so many different aspects of our life. Crazy how that works, right? Crazy how that works. Um, but yeah, we, we don't give people these platforms quick. We don't do things until we know the character of the person. And are do they, there's qualifications, man. Like I was just reading again through um, Titus and the qualifications of elders we covered in a first or second podcast episode. But all of those things, you know, just so many, and I'm not going to go through them all again. I don't think it's necessary right now for this discussion per se, but, but there's just a, the character aspect of this that I think gets neglected so many times. Like, oh, you have this charismatic speaking voice and, Oh man, people just like you. You're cool. You're hip. You know, that's what I get all the time. I'm like, you're hip. Yeah, you're so you're cool. cool, Emery. All the youth tell me that. Like, you're 47, but you don't you don't seem like it. I can't just, believe it. You look 46. Yeah. But, but again, that that is a trait that as a leader you do need to have. You need yeah. to have that that charisma to you. But it just can't be that. No, correct. No, that, that that's sand to build a foundation on for sure, right? Like it can't be skinny jeans alone. It's gotta be character. It's got to be. Are you attacking my skinny jeans? I told everybody I was going to break those out in year three of student <laughs> ministry. <laughs> that, that doesn't believe me. I'm going to be the last person to talk about skinny jeans. No, but yeah, I think, I think David's got a point that like, it can't, it, the, you certainly, well, there are a lot of great leaders in history who maybe weren't the most charismatic, right? Great preachers who weren't great at delivering from a, um, a charisma or an entertainment standpoint, but the message was mm -hmm. so solid. But finding that sweet spot where somebody's got both 
That's that's incredible. You know, when, when you see it done well, those are the guys who all the eyes in the room go to and they want to hear what he says. Well, especially those that, that are seeking depth. It's real easy to get somebody who's like, oh, he's charismatic. And man, I want to go hear so-and-so it's preach. So because, entertaining. Yeah, I'm so entertained this week. Let's just shout him out. Paul Washer. Oh, yeah. That he's, dude has he's, he's zero for sure. charisma, but his messages are fantastic. I, I love to listen to him speak because he speaks so eloquently. And this oh, week's yeah. sponsor, Elevation Church, uh, <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Furtick, has all the charisma and the cool and clothes. None of the depth. And none yeah. of the depth, right? Inch, inch deep, mile wide. Give me somebody right in the middle. So f- finding that sweet spot where somebody's got both, I think, is really rare. And I think it works in business. It works It works in a lot of organizational leadership where you have somebody who has a great message, but also the great capacity to deliver that message. That's tricky. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, those flashy pastors who, you know, like you just said a minute ago, like they don't last long sometimes or they're, we quickly kind of see them for what they are. No substance. Uh, boy, everybody got really hyped about that guy for 10 minutes and then, you know, he sort of washed out and you see that all over culture and business and all kinds of things. I mean, you'll see that in in business, these CEOs of these young tech companies come out and everybody's all enamored with them and infatuated. And 18 months later, the company's bankrupt or the guy's on trial for stealing billions of dollars in Bitcoin. You know, it's just flash in the pan. Everybody's exciting and interesting until you you scratch the surface a bit there. You got to go a little deeper and what you see sometimes is is maybe they're not a good leader. They're just charismatic. Mm. Yeah. There's a gifting aspect of that as well. Like we talk about born as I'm, as I'm going back and re- not rethinking and completely my initial answer here, but like there's, there's a gifting aspect of it too. Absolutely. Ephesians 4, 12 or no 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So, and it goes on to say, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And then it goes on to rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him, which is the head into Christ. You know, there's a gifting aspect of that. So going back to our leaders born, I think if we're if we're gonna we can talk about civilian or secular life versus church life, I would say if we're gonna talk about church leaders specifically, so they're born they're they, they're gifted by oh, God. Yep. Um, they've they've been gifted in some way. Not that I'm super gifted. I'm special. Definitely. But, uh, <laughs> Definitely. But 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 there is a gifting once you once you receive that gift of faith when when God saves you. There's a there's a you're gonna benefit the body in some way. And in, in one of those ways, if you're considered church leader, if someone's seen in you, hey, we we see in you that you're going to lead within the church body, you're going to fit within one of those criteria for sure. Um, but everyone is going to be gifted in some way. Every man of God is gifted in some way to serve the church body. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and I've said it on this podcast. I'll say it a million more times, right? Like where the men go, so go the church. Where the men go, so go the families. And we're called to be godly leaders and men because weak men damage people. Weak men damage churches. Weak men damage their families. And we can't be weak men. Well, how, how much church hurt comes from a weak man yeah. in leadership at the church these people are coming from? We've experienced that. Yeah. 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 I think all of it is, is poor leaders um, putting their scars on people 
that run them out and and you know run them away and, and it's it comes it's all you know rooted in sin obviously but also pride and arrogance and all these other things that that weak men uh, who are maybe scared to lead well or scared to make the right call or scared to do the hard thing they, they're damaging people from a pulpit or from a, a an office or from a position of authority in the lives of of others and it's it's awful and so we need to stand firm and push back against that and find ways to to, to stand out and, and lead with godly principle everywhere we go. Sometimes that means you do the hard thing. You say the hard thing. Godly leaders are firm and direct, and they have to say hard things sometimes. And I, I as a weakness of mine, I don't like ruffling feathers. I don't like hurting feelings. I, I want everybody to like me all the time. That's absolutely a terrible quality as a leader, and I've tried to overcome that and make more enemies as I've gotten older. Okay, maybe that's not the most practical way to do that, but I've tried to be better at just being direct and saying the hard thing because if you don't, the wrong thing happens. And that, that it's ugly, but you got to sometimes just be the jerk in the and room. Sometimes that's love. That, that, well, not sometimes. Many times that's loving. Yes. To withhold that is not loving. Yeah, it's a good example of that, I think, is talking to somebody about their sin. Right, like the Bible says, you know, talk about it with them. It's to gently restore that brother. Or Matthew eighteen, right? You, if you've won, if your brother repents, then you've won your brother, and that's a great thing. And so we ought to be able to to talk in a manner that that is direct and sometimes firm, always loving and gentle enough uh, for for the occasion. Now you're not going to talk to the the jerk who's beating his wife in the same tone that you're going to correct your child. Mm-hmm. You're not going to talk to the the bully at church who's making everybody feel bad, the same tone that you're going to talk to the lady who maybe was a little disrespectful and out of line about something. And, and I think that people who are willing to do that, that are willing to say the hard thing lovingly, are, are well-respected by many who are seeking to be godly men. I, I won't say the elder's name here, but we, we talk about him all the time. But we know. We know it is. But one of my good friends, when he the first time he met this person, he texted me. He was like... I'm pretty certain that so-and-so would slit your throat with Scripture if you needed it. (laughs) And it's the most fitting statement I've heard for this individual ever. Yeah, yeah. And it's, But it's good. Like, that was said with respect. It wasn't like like this guy who said it was— It was a compliment. Yeah, it's it's a compliment. and, And he was thankful for it because he came out of a lot of church hurt. But he was like, that's that's leadership that I want. I need that. And he recognized it. Well, it's hard. It's hard to be that guy, and it's hard to say the thing that nobody wants to hear, but— Well, I think on top of that is to be able to do that, you have to be doing it. You have to be You have to be willing to have other people to do that or, oh, yeah. or, or recognize when someone comes to you that they're doing that in a loving way, too. It works both ways. It's not because this person is super stud Christian and just getting everything right. It's because he's super humble and will ask for prayer, will ask to be corrected, will ask— Asked to be loved in that way. So I think that it goes hand in hand in so many ways. Yeah, godly men have to be able to take criticism and correction well and and not take it personally in a way that destroys you and, and hurts you and makes you not able to function or operate, but rather makes you humbly reflect and go, okay, I have a blind spot. And this, this brother that I love and respect is calling me on that. So I need to be able to recalibrate and go back to work and, and not let that— just destroy you for a month, you know. No. Uh, it's hard. Nobody likes being corrected. Nobody likes being called out. But you got to be able to do it. You got to be able to take take that criticism from people. And and obviously, you you can't read all the mail. Some of it's going to be junk mail. 
But if it's a, a person in your life that, that you respect that has maybe a position of authority over you or it's a, a peer, a brother, a, somebody that, that, that has earned that position in your life. And by the way, if you hear that and you go, well, nobody's earned that position in my life. You're screwing up, yeah. abort, review, <laughs> and change some things in your life because you're not doing it right. If nobody, if you can't name a few people in your life who have the ability and the authority to speak into your life and correct you, you, you you're doing it wrong. For sure. Reevaluate. And I think that's anywhere. I mean, any environment you're in, I can go back and look at any job that I've had when I was washing dishes at the Pagoda in North Pole. That sounds nice. It's a great job. Fancy great job food. or what were you talking the guy Fieri's good buddies with the guy who owns that place has been up there. It's been on anyway. Personal hero of mine. I digress. Okay, keep going. Um, but I'm just saying, like you know, the owner there at the time there was somebody even in that stage of my life. If he was happy with the work I'd done that night, I'm like, okay, good. Like there, he could at least tell me, hey, you messed up. You, I respected him enough, even in that job. Yeah. So I think any environment we're in in life, there's just there should be people. If you walk into us, if you're putting on a certain hat for the day. Somebody should be able to tell you, hey, you need to do this better. Yeah. And if not, man, you're not teachable and you need to reevaluate whatever role you're in in that moment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's another attribute that I wrote down I wanted to talk about. Good leaders bring calm to panic. So in, in the chaos, in the storm, in the moments of tumult, a good leader has the ability to bring a calm and a rationality to that moment. And I think really specifically, a mentor, business partner, friend of mine, David Cox, is not our David here, different David. David here is also all of those things, but David Cox is has been that man for me in my life many times in, in 10 different ways for 10 different, you know, crazy moments. But I've known him for, you know, almost half my life. And so we've we've been through a lot of those opportunities there for him to, to bring calm and order into the chaos of life for me. And I think uh, it's really hard sometimes to be the, the calm, still voice when, when the world's on fire, but you need somebody to come into that fire and say, hey, the door's over here. We're going we're gonna to get out. We're going to turn on the hose. We're going to put this fire out. And that is not something that you're born with. I don't care who you are. That takes practice. Mm -hmm. David was in the military for a very long time. He did a lot of very crazy things in a lot of very hard places in the world. And so I think any upheaval in my life, any chaos, any storm seemed very small relative to all of the experiences that he had had. And he brought that calm when I needed it. When I was in the hospital with a heart condition, it was just so funny. I was, my heart rate was stuck at like 180 plus beats a minute. I was having AFib and tachycardia and some weird, I don't know, medical stuff. And he just comes strolling in the room real casual. And he's like, hey, you're breathing though? He rubs, he rubs some lavender on your feet? Like, no, he's not that guy. He's like, hey, yeah, uh, but are you breathing? I'm like, yeah, I'm breathing. He's like, all right, do it more, slower, better. We're going to get there. I'm like, okay. And uh, and my business still had to run when that was going down. I was in the hospital for a few days, and he ran it for me. He took care of it. He was there with me in person when I needed him. And when they were knocking that hospital bed back down to stop my heart, he was right there. And... When my heart started beating in rhythm again properly, he was right there. You know, it just, he, he just, and none of it shook him. None of it was weird. None of it was heavy. At least he, he was able to compartmentalize that, put that in its proper place and be a still uh, a calming voice, you know, in, in the chaos and in the storm of the day. That takes reps. You can't just be that person. 
um, but we should all work on it. You know, try to be that calm person in a moment of chaos. You boys were in the military. I'm sure that's nothing for you both, but. That, that reminds me of Acts 20. Verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Like what you're saying about David Cox, he's, he was there. He understands that you needed somebody, and he's taking that special time and attention to care for you, which everybody needs that person in their life. Yeah, absolutely. And we should try to be the, that person when we see the opportunity. Leaders encourage people when they need it. They comfort people when they need it. Leaders encourage people to grow. They, they look for those people who they see uh, maybe a calling in their life like people have done for us. They encourage people who maybe don't see in themselves the ability to do things. Uh, one of the, the greatest parts of my life uh, as a leader in different capacities is being able to encourage people who, even if they got no earthly shot at doing whatever it is that they've got to do, just to give them those words of affirmation and say, hey, I see in you something that you do not see. I see in you a man who is capable of so much more than you think you are. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is in you. You walk confidently into this, whatever it is that you're about to do, as a son of God, chosen, called out by God as his own possession. What else matters? You know, so being able to encourage men or women or children, whoever, is, is a critical component of being a godly leader, but also it's the best part in my opinion. It's so fun to just be able to encourage people along and let them know that that you see in them stuff that they don't see in themselves, like those men did for you, Emery, when you were young. You know, they they would tell you good job only if it was a really good job, right? Like, well, and as you talk about that, I, there's a book I read recently called, I forget who wrote it, it was called The Relentless Encourager. And I remember reading that book. And, and the guy about that, Barnabas? No, oh, okay. but but along those lines, like just how 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 we should be in ministry should be relentless encouraging and it relentless encourage the people that God's placed under our care. But my pastor at our old church before we came to Coinos, he is the the relentless encourager. He's the guy God placed in my life to, and Jonathan's really good at this too. But it, he just God used him to show me you need to work on this mm. because. I can be not like, but I, I view everything as an obstacle to be destroyed. Uh, like, so I'm like, I can come off as pessimistic, but but I'm really excited. I just want to blow it up. Sure, like get it out of the way so we can so we can get towards this mission. So I needed someone like that in my life to be like, to, to not only encourage me, like, hey, I see in you, like you can do this, but also, like, hey, dude, take it down a notch. God is in control. We're gonna do this. Um, you're coming off a little bit like a Debbie Downer right now. And sometimes the obstacle is the mission. Yes. So, so yeah. So just as you talk about that, that need for the encouragement, it's not so much like, good job, guys, you can do it. It's like pointing you back to Christ and saying, hey, man, you can't do this on your own. We can't start this church and this campus on our own. Right. We need to rely on him. Stop taking us all on yourself, first off. And second, we're good. We got this, man. And so those guys like that, man, are just, and, and I've grown, again, teachable because I had to see a blind spot in me. Hey, I need to work on that. I don't recognize that very well. It helped me in my marriage too, so. Well, and when we're, when we're encouraging people, try to be as specific as possible. Mm-hmm. Don't just paint those broad brush. You can do it. Work hard. No, I see in you a man that you do not see. 
I see a man who's up against it right now, and you're here right now having this conversation with me in one of the hardest times of your life, or what, whatever the context of the situation is. I, I love to be the guy pumping the tires of a guy who needs his tires pumped. Like just, he's down, he's broken, he's hurting, you know, whatever. Guy lost his job. He's got, got no job and he's got a family and he's got to go figure it out. I love to encourage that guy and tell him every reason on earth why he should absolutely get hired right away because you got so much to offer. You're great. You're, you're a great friend. You're encouraging. You're responsible. You do all these things. You got to see that in yourself right now because we're often our harshest critics, right? And people need that encouragement. And I, I love being that. That's the fun part of leadership for me is just building people up mm-hmm. and telling them what they don't see about themselves that, that the rest of us do see. And you got to get on board and go because you can do this and we can talk about it or you can go do it, you know? Sometimes they get a little uh, like Tony, what's his name? The P90X guy, Tony Horton. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not Tony Robbins. That's the different guy. Yeah, Tony Horton, P90X. All right. No, no. Okay. Well, it's because you're young and fit, David. You've never had to. You've never had to come back from the brink of obesity like I have. No, you I don't understand. A Navy SEAL. We don't care about Navy SEALs. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Jocko. One thing I do want to talk about that Vody Bauckham brings it up a lot, and we've been saying sometimes you got to say the hard thing. And if you look through all the work that Paul did, he didn't walk in to Corinth or any of these other places going, "Hey guys, Jesus loves you." I'm, <laughs> yeah, he just, did tell him that, but it was a side note. But but he walked in there and said, "Hey guys." Jesus loves you, but get your life sinners. And this is what you're doing wrong. Here's how to fix it. And and he was very stern and direct with them in a very gracious, loving way. But that's something as a godly man and as a leader, you you have to be able to do. And it's perfectly okay to go at somebody with sternness and put out what you're wanting to put out, knowing that you're going to offend people. That's part of it. And I hate that part. Yeah, it's tough. It is. Yeah, it's part of it, though. It is. You're right. You're right. And if we're gonna if we're gonna lead well and we're gonna do it for the glory of God, you gotta sometimes you're gonna take some lumps. Yeah. But that's it. Stand on God's word. If you're you know, if you're not sure if you're in the right here, go to God's word and figure it out. You know, or grab some counsel from godly men in your life that you trust, some leaders in your life that you trust that you can kind of bounce those things off of. I think those are those are tough moments. But think about the great leaders in your life and know that they all were in situations where they had to correct people and Good leaders do it gently. They don't domineer. You know, look the, at, go ahead. I'm just thinking of uh, the whole story of, of David when he got called out on the whole Bathsheba thing. I mean, yeah. you know, to be that guy with Nathan. Yep, Nathan. Good call. That uh, just came and said, hey, you are, you are that man. You've sinned. Yeah. It's like, how would you like to, I mean, I couldn't imagine going to the king Excuse me, sir. Hey, uh, sir, (laughs) let me tell you this cool little story. But I know that you killed a guy. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like you have to be able to do it. And then, and then, but to David's credit, what did he do? Like we got Psalm 51 because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, he repented and acknowledged his sin. And that's all right. Let let me take a quick look here. Uh, Okay. So leadership, godly leadership in the household. Mm -hmm. We've, we've done episodes about this, right? Godly men go to church. We're going to do an episode probably more specifically on family worship at some point, but we've we've talked about that here at nauseum. Like we're we are called to lead our families well, to know uh, God's word, to worship that God, to, to to try to help shepherd our children as they're growing in knowledge and understanding that this Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit would soften their hearts to the gospel. It's on us to lead well. You've got the Ephesians five verses about how we are to be as husbands to our wives, 
that's a huge calling. We're to, we're to lay our lives down for our wives like Christ laid his life down for the church, washing her in the watering of the word. It's a huge order. But that's exactly who we're made to be. That's who God made us to be. We are made in the image of the uncreated God. And he's called us to be those men, to lead our families, to lead our children in family worship, reading God's word, to take them to church on Sundays to sing, because Emery shared all kinds of statistics in the Godly Men Go to Church episode about uh, the outcome for families who, you know, dad's taking them to church, husband's taking them to church. The outcomes for those, those families are better than if it's the kid's idea or the mom's idea, and dad's not a part of that picture. So we're to lead in the home. And we're to lead in the church. And we all here have leadership positions in the church. We all serve the body every week. Em uh, Emery, you're obviously a minister of students at our church. We've talked quite a bit about that. But you're also the, the triage guy. Like if there's anything that needs to be done and there's just like a random thing. Is that? Is that? You're really? the guy. Oh, am I? <laughs> yeah. Th th there are a few of you because we're a church of 400. So there's always, or 350, whatever. I like to pump it up a little bit because it's awesome. But you know, if, if there's a, a an errand that needs run, a, a thing that needs dropped off, a book that needs delivered, a, a care basket that needs to go out, you're the guy. And I know that you're not going to come on here and say that, but I'll say it because I see that in you and I love that about you. You're that guy and we need you, you know? David, God bless him. He's uh, holding down the security team. There's only like three guys on our security team that when they're working, I actually feel secure. <laughs> David's one of those guys. <laughs> The more we're talking about this with the family aspect, I want to read Philippians 2. It's very easy for us to put off ourselves for the church. But when you listen to this, it's verse 3, Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And when it comes to leadership in the family, I know for me, that can be a struggle. I will drop everything to go help somebody that's part of our church family. Yes, you will. But man, I won't do those dishes. And, and that's a humbling thing that you have to wrap your mind around as a, as a godly husband, as a godly leader in the household. That's, it's very important. You also have to do it at home. Yeah, that's right. It's so much easier to serve other people mm -hmm. sometimes than to serve our, our own family. And that's ridiculous. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, I know, like Dave and I went on vacation last summer. We went to Tennessee for for a long weekend or whatever. We like that day, one of our buddies in our life group, a guy that we all know and love. He's like, "Hey, can you come help me move that day?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm supposed to take my family on vacation." Yep. What time? <laughs> and so Dave and I both went over there and helped him move before we took our families on vacation. And never would we have even like not no. never considered not doing that. Like, no. of course we will. That's that's exactly right. But you're right. And then if but if my wife's like, hey, we need to go do this super boring thing that I'm into, I'll be like, oh man, you know, my yeah. posture is wrong it as is. a leader. It's easy to help other people. Mm -hmm. But you know, sometimes that that attitude has to come back into the house and and be selfish, right? Right. Selfless. Sorry. Uh put a set aside all selfish selfish ambition there. So yeah, leading in the home, leading in the church, um, and we're all we're all called to do all of those things. And in the workplace, be a bringer of light into a place of darkness. So if you're a godly man, that means doing the work of an evangelist and being known as that guy who can bring answers, bring Bible answers when people have questions, when people are hurting. These are all attributes of godly men who lead well. And godly men, godly leaders take care of people. They they're protectors in word. And in action, we just talked, I brought up the security team here a minute ago. That's probably like the most literal version of being a protector 
in word and in action, but godly leaders have had to protect the well-being of the church in doctrine and theology and good mm-hmm. teaching for the history of the church. There's been all kinds of bad teachers and bad actors trying to bring bad doctrine and bad theology into churches since it began. I mean, Paul wrote about it. So, Well, not only Paul writing about it, but you know, we were reading in 1 Corinthians last week, and Paul's like telling the, admonishing the church, like, hey, you're messing up. But then if you go look at early church fathers, I think it was Clement of Rome in like AD 95, yeah. is basically like, I, I forget the exact quote, but the, the gist of it is, hey, y'all, pick up Paul's letter and read it again because you're messing it up. And like, <laughs> look how short of amount of time. So it's just, it's been here forever. It's going to be here forever. And yeah. we're called to, are we, how are we going to police up the doctrine in, the, in, in our churches if we aren't in God's word, if we're not praying, if we're not seeking to be godly men, meeting these criteria of, of being elders in the church, seeking to lead well in our own homes, in our own lives, being disciplined in these spiritual disciplines, how on earth are we going to be able to lead in that manner if we're not willing to take the time to do that? And so many of us, I'm guilty, man, just being lazy for years. And I hope that anybody listening to this now and is where I was 10 years ago and am sometimes during the week now, <laughs> will get get over yourself and, and start leading well. Yeah, Paul said something about dying to self. I think that's really important here. And I'll tell you, every church, I don't care where you're at, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, boy, I'd really like to help. Maybe this is convicting. You want to take on a, a position of uh, leadership in your church. You're trying to find a way to help and get plugged in. I promise you, whatever church you're going to needs help in the kids' ministry. <laughs> go, go back there and teach the third graders the gospel every, every Sunday morning because um, there's not a church in America that has any number of children in its pews that don't need help there. Uh, that'll humble you too. I'll tell you. And that was my gateway drug into serving in the church. That's beautiful. It'll get you right off oh, of it too. It's hate, painful. Oh, <laughs> I, I told Karen we were we were at our, an old our old church and had so many kids. We dropped them off every week, and there was this need for for people to serve in the children's ministry. Little known secret: I don't. I didn't used to. God has changed me a lot in the last ten years. I didn't really care for other people's kids all that much. Yep. I would not have been able to be a student minister ten years ago. Okay, me either. For multiple reasons. But I'm like, hey, let's go serve here once every few weeks or whatever. So they throw us right in the middle of the kindergartners. And you talk about oh, getting humbled really quick about how hard that is. It's going through the car wash with the top down. Yeah, but just but but at the same time, it's like, hey, we served. It was, it was the first thing that I did in serving that church, really. It was like, hey, I'm going to serve here. And thankfully, there was some need for security and stuff that came up shortly, like within six months where I'm like, hey, I I, I can do that. Graduate. Let me do that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just taking those steps to serve, filling filling the gap, filling the gap. That's it. You're the guy. You're the gap filler. You know, those... And those guys are clutch, and every church has a few of those guys who you just know if something has to get done, there's like three names everybody calls, you know, and that that's essential. But yeah, the, the kids' ministry is a great place to start. The security team, the one that I think doesn't get enough love on here, I've said it before, the coffee uh, maker on the Sunday morning, like find a spot to go serve your church well because the church needs more godly men leading and being seen and encouraging and doing all of these things, all these attributes that you can do from a position of service to the body, and you're demonstrating to your kids as a leader, I value this church, and I value the people that come through this door on Sunday mornings to hear God's word proclaimed enough to give give of my own time to come in here and do this because godly men serve. And don't think for a minute that what you have to offer isn't of great value to your church. 
Right. I, yeah, I won't say the name, but there's a guy who came into the church in, a, in the last year or so. He's done a whole lot more, but the one thing that stands out to me that was this immediate like, oh man, I opened up the circuit breaker to flip the lights on on a Sunday evening and everything was like color-coded and the ones that you're supposed to flip were green nice. and the ones you aren't were all red, every single one of them. And it took a lot of work, but I could come in there and I found out today he's an Air Force vet. So I got to like, you know. Happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day to you, buddy. Thank yeah. you for hooking that up. And I won't bust chops on the Air Force for a couple of weeks because of this, but. Give him a pass. Um, but no, but just like, you wouldn't think, like I'm sure in that moment he wasn't like, oh man, this is going to, somehow be this great service to my church. But the reality is I bet he has no clue how many people mentioned how thankful they were for that one thing over the next like three weeks. Yeah. If you don't go to our church, that circuit board is notorious because it's, it acts as a light switch because for the 20 years we've been in the building, nobody has wired light switches in. And so you have to go flip a mega breaker board. It's like 50 or more. There's a lot. There's it's, a lot. And there's there's only two. Thankfully, they were like multiples of seven, so <laughs> even the dumb Marine could figure it out. Yeah, it's it, there's an insane number of switches. And so this sounds little and insignificant, but boy, did that guy lead. I don't know who it was. I, I've been shown by three people in the past two weeks. They're just so excited. Oh, dude. <laughs> About how great it is? Shout out to Bo. Oh, it's Bo. Yeah, nice. Bo, man. Tell Bo. Tell Bo, yeah. thank you. I'll tell him tomorrow. That's big, awesome. Big, big crowd pleaser, that one. Yeah, yeah he probably know. has no clue that people, but but it's like ranted and raved about. And to him, it was probably simple. Yeah, but he, like he just saw an, he saw a need, saw a need, and he did it. He did Somebody it. asked him, and he did it like just with joy. And I've served with his wife, like dropping stuff off places where she just rolls in a bunch of rocks in the bed of her truck for for just serving a, a local community thing that someone else in the church was working on. Or like she she's done with her job for the morning for a little bit and rolls in with this truck with bunch of rocks in the back we offload and people were super happy about it, but they're just a servant-hearted family yeah both of them but anyway yeah no that's killer no i love that example i love those guys that's awesome uh one more thing i wanted to talk about and we can wrap it's an old thing i didn't make it up certainly but godly men should always have two categories of people in their life they should have those leaders who they look up to who they're they're trying to grow to be more like who are setting an example for them personally and then they should have that group of people who they're reaching down and pulling up onto their level. So you kind of see this picture of like halfway up a ladder, you've got the guys above you and the guys below you. You're trying to be more like those guys above you. And you're reaching down and pulling these other guys up uh, to encourage through encouragement and development and challenge and strategy. And you're, you're being intentional about how do we get these guys up here where I'm at? Because that is what good leaders do. They try to elevate other leaders. David mentioned that early on in this episode. You know, that the, they, they look for other men who they have qualified or see in them maybe a calling. And so does that mean anything to you guys? Is there Have you thought about that at all or been, been a part of that, either at the bottom, the middle, or the top of that ladder? Yeah, I think that's a great question. But one thing I want to clarify is you always want to be both. Mm-hmm. You never just want to be one or the other. Oh, you, yeah. You always want to be striving. That that, can, that's hard to do. That can get really hard because it's yeah. lonely leading. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I mean, they're like, think about head pastors who don't have a plurality of elders and they're like it. They're, they're, they're alone up there. Oh, one, I had a discussion with someone eight years ago and it just happened to ask that question. It was a time where I was like working through what does this aspiration to ministry, where's this going? And I just had an opportunity to talk with someone. And I asked that specific question, how do you handle being, because at the time our 
the, this person didn't have a plurality of elders with him. And, and it was like, how do you handle that? What do you do? And, and he, he made the comment. He's like, you know, honestly, it's one of the most lonely places you can be in. And that made my heart hurt. Yeah. So I'm like, man, dude, like this person is doing a lot. I'm four people that, that God has placed in his path to shepherd. And he's kind of just left out to dry in a lot of ways, unless there's someone that he can find that's going to do that for him. Um, and that's hard, but that's why scripture lays out this whole plurality of elders thing too. You know, I don't want to get into that whole big, I know that can be a little tense to have a discussion about it. Just a fact, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, so leadership can be lonely in a lot of capacities uh, professionally. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I only really think in like three realms at any given time. So I think about like in church leadership and then professional leadership, the work capacity, because I don't work in full-time ministry. That's So I have like this whole other life where leadership is a thing and then relationally. And if you're not careful, leadership gets super lonely. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have guys that, that you're looking up to that are pulling you up. And maybe you're in like a weird isolated situation where those men just aren't around you. If you find yourself there, maybe you're in a military setting and you just don't have any guys around you who are godly men or you're in a family where you're the only believer or in a friend group or in a workplace where you're the only believer, I think then you kind of have to start to rely on like parasocial relationships where you're just listening to really good pastors or good podcasts or reading books by men who have been there and and you can learn from and grow from, but do what you can to find those men that you can be at least shoulder to shoulder with. Ideally, you're going to have some that are further up that ladder than you. Uh, if you can't get there, Keep looking. I don't know what to tell. I mean, that that's tough. I'm sure that those situations are exceedingly rare. But in the internet age, you know, you can have relationships with people online, even that if you have to, God forbid. I mean, if that's all you got, but part of it's just being willing to be a little vulnerable too, though. That's right. And leaders have to be vulnerable. You have to be it. It goes right there in that humility category, I think, to be able to oh, let your guard down a bit and just tell you can't lead well if people don't know you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for certain. They don't trust you if they don't know you. Definitely. They don't believe in you. They, they, don't put their, they don't want to put their life or their well-being or their outcome in your hands because they don't see who you are under that veneer of grit. You got you to gotta be. And that comes just like David said earlier, you know, if you have a rank, typically in the military, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to, you have to respect the rank, maybe not the individual. Sergeant Sanford, one of the things I remember he told me one time was um, you, you must, you have to command respect. You can never demand it. That's right. Was something that he told me, and and so in that pastoral setting, where it's like how how can I expect to come to people if they don't know me, but then I'm going to be the guy come tell them how wrong they are because oh well I have this title on my card. Right. I wouldn't count on that for too long. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, as a non full time pastor, when I've been blessed with the opportunity to preach, I take it very seriously. This like. Uh, I'm going to go up there and speak from a, you know, like a, a place of authority sort of, right? Like I'm over that room that day bringing the message. So I've, I'm alone with a microphone and I'm, I'm bringing a message from the word of God. And my hope is that God's word is going to be doing most of the talking that day, but I got to be in that mix somewhere. And there's a great tension there in my heart. And, and one time I, started the sermon and just said, look, I just want to be super clear about this. I'm a sinner and I'm like a real sinner. 
And I'm also a hypocrite because today they let me hold the microphone. So I'm going to say things that we should all be doing that I'm not doing just right. And that, and I have, a, I'm a little uncomfortable with this because I was like brand new to preaching. I'd only done it a few times. And afterwards, Danny Dixon came up to me and he goes, I'm new here. I'm like, hi, it's nice to meet you. And he goes, I just want to tell you, I love the fact that you said you're a hypocrite. I trusted you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Danny's awesome. Yeah. I was like, okay, I guess that was good because that was just me being insecure, but also vulnerable and just saying, look, I don't know how to feel about this because I'm new at this. I haven't been doing this very long. Also an awesome gap filler. Oh, yeah. Danny he's Dixon. the man. Yeah. He's on the uh, red team, retired, extremely dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That, that. that does remind me of something that, Andy Stumpf always says, he's a military guy, does a lot of free falling, and he ever says, the time that you go out to jump and you're not afraid, don't do it. Yeah. There always needs to be that little bit of, not fear, but I don't even know the word for it. Healthy you guys, respect you guys think of a word. for the healthy respect for yeah. the reverent. situation you find. Yeah, reverent. Yeah, that's a good word. Fear, maybe. Yeah, yeah. He has the squirrel suit world record. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what that is, YouTube, it's kind of spicy. It's like but... a peregrine falcon human just yeah, he, flies through the air. And he quit doing it. Yeah. Because he just said, all my friends keep dying. <laughs> Eey, that's dark. All right. Well, I think we did it. We we crossed the hour mark again. Okay. Trying so hard. You know, we are. We are. But for our bros that have long commutes, you're welcome. If you have big lawns to mow, you're welcome. The rest of you, sorry. Uh, shout out to the people that sit in their offices and play this for their coworkers. You're a wild bunch, and we appreciate you. Did anybody prepare a question today? It's okay if you did I not. Got one. I got one. Oh, wow. Cool. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. Dave, go ahead. What What do you got? All right, I don't want to age Emery here, but I was thinking about this the other day. Yes, I only had three TV channels <laughs> when I was a kid. Oh, well, that, that may impact your answer. Your favorite Saturday morning cartoon. Um, okay, so I don't for sure know what day they were on because I also only had three channels growing up. We didn't have, we couldn't get cable where we lived and <clears throat> we got satellite when I was older. You still can't. <laughs> and now here I am as the 36-year-old man. I still can't. That's true, actually. But I was really into, like, the Batman cartoon, the... Batman Beyond? I think so. The it was black, dark. Black, black suit, red symbol. No, no, no. Black and gray, like, dark. It was like a dark Batman. It was, like, always nighttime. Yeah, it was black suit, big big red bass in the middle. I don't remember red. Okay. I will Google it later. I will Google it later. I like that a lot. I was also a big Ninja Turtles guy. Like, the original, like, 80s Ninja Turtles. Really yeah. into that. Sick theme song. Cool van. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about you guys? I didn't realize there was a Ninja Turtle cartoon. Oh, yeah. From, like, your childhood. Well, I know, but I had, like, sheets and collected Ninja Turtle cards, but they were all, like, the movie, that first Ninja Turtle movie. Yeah. They had nothing to do with cartoons. I don't know when that Cartoon was pretty big, too. Weren't you a little old for that? (laughs) I was, like, in the eighth grade in school. Okay, okay. I wanted to be a ninja, man. I I just didn't know, like, when that came out. Okay, yeah, because that was probably, like, 90? Yeah, right about 90. Okay. Yeah, so I was, like, right in the eighth grade. Oh, that's perfect. That was perfect. So, Saturday morning cartoon... McGill a gorilla, 1964. <laughs> <laughs> the original Mickey Steamboat Willie. Um, no, I loved G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. Thundercats. Yeah, Thundercats. Like Thundercats. I was so disappointed when I found out the whole Thundercat movie that I'd heard about somewhere on the internet was like not happening. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. So sad. But yeah, G- Thundercats. I forgot about that until you just said that. But. Good. And then in, uh, when I was a Marine on deployment, We'd always watch uh, Saturday morning Chow Hall cartoons. They had Animaniacs, so that was a little after oh, yeah. that my, was my time. time. But Anima- Animaniacs still is my favorite. My kids love them. We got the DVDs. Great show, Pinky and the Brain. I have all some that. Animaniac socks that I wear on occasion. Yeah, I was a big fan of that. David, what was your go-to? What What spurned this on was I was flipping through YouTube and saw an old '80s X Men cartoon. 
it is. Nineties. Was it nineties? Oh, that that show was okay. great. So, so I it brought back the swell of emotions from from watching the X Men cartoon. Is Sorry, I had written my will by this point. It was overseas somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we were very different age brackets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dave's uh, almost exactly one year older than me, so he's thirty seven. That X Men cartoon in the nineties was great. It was dark and gritty it's too. Real hard to watch back now as an adult. Is it it's, not good? It's not good at all. We were children. It, it I mean, fun. it's awesome, but yeah, we were ten years old. Yeah, nostalgia is not good for that one. Uh, all right, Emery, what's your question? All right. Consulting if, the book. If animals could talk, <laughs> which would be the rudest? Oh, wow. Uh, children, human. Human children? <laughs> no, there's a better answer. Man, who looks rude? There's some animals that have a lot of audacity. There's like an ostrich meme going around right now. And I don't know I what it is. I saw that the other day, yeah. yeah. Is it sassy? Yes, very. Okay. I, I think an ostrich would be a very rude animal. I didn't want to use ostrich for two things on this show. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Well, I'll, I got one. We have a woodpecker issue at our house, and it decides to drill holes in the side of my house at 5 a.m., so that one right now mm -hmm. is top of my Although in the cartoon, he was very charming. Uh, in real life, I want him to die. So he's not the... <laughs> no, he's, he's going to... Well, I tell you what. I don't think say anything you're going to do to Nope, him. nope, nope. Didn't say Because I don't know what the rules are. Didn't say anything. I do know what the rules are. Not going to say a word. <laughs> and I enjoy my Christian liberty right here in this chair. Go ahead, Emery. What's your rude animal? Well, and I don't know if it's because maybe my kids watch too much Lion King or something, but I think I think hyenas. Oh, okay. Something about a hyena. They look like they're sassy. They look like jerks. Yeah. They're just all around. They look like they're going to be annoying to you as an individual. They're going to talk smack to you for sure. Yeah. Like, there's just something about them. Hyenas is the one that... The Lion King confirms that. Yeah. I mean, everything Disney does is true to... Yeah. True to what the animals do in real life, right? So... Yeah. I think so. I got a lot of questions <laughs> about reproduction then. Uh, okay. <laughs> just like a lack of... You know what I mean? That was like a big deal when that new like remake happened. Like... What, How did what, what are you talking about? I'll tell you later. Oh, I'll tell you after okay. the pod. I'll tell you. After. They're not anatomically correct. That's oh what I'm no! Like Thankfully. you're saying, like if you're saying animals are like in Disney are totally accurate, they're not anatomically correct. <laughs> that's none of my business. Way though, really. too much overthinking on that one. There, I else. think so. Yeah. That's, that's where I live. <laughs> that is where I live. Okay, uh, I'll do one. Um, old timey TV show. Do you have like a favorite? Uh, this is kind of in the cartoon vein. Like, what's but old timey? I I watch a lot of black and white TV right now. Okay. Like a lot, a lot. Um, is there any like even if it's color, like old school before you were born let's say or like before you were of your era mm. is there anything like that that sticks out to you guys Andy Griffith for me oh great answer I love, I love that show especially Solid. as a kid now I guess it's dated now is Salute Your Shorts was it one what that was 30 years ago when you think about Salute it Salute Your Shorts great Camp Onawana one of the greatest yeah um, fantastic Donkey Lips I thought <laughs> yeah, about that I'm gonna google this you're, yeah you're, you, were, so you, good. you were probably in boot camp it was early 90s um, yeah, they, I thought about that show yesterday. We were doing a puzzle, my kids and I, and there was an episode where it rained, and so they were locked in the cabin, and they did a puzzle upside down, yeah. so they couldn't see the thing. So anyway, uh, Emery, any old school TV shows that you uh, imbibe? Man. Uh, black Sheep Squadron. Yeah, is it black and white? Oh, uh, I don't know if it was black and white. This, I don't think I'm thinking of the right show. Okay. So black Sheep Squadron was about the Marine Air Wing that was uh, Pappy Boyington. We are poor little lambs who've lost our way. 
bah, then the air raid siren would go and they'd be hopping into their F4 Corsairs. Oh yeah, okay, okay. It was awesome, man. It's got a 7.6 yeah. on IMDb, so it's got a it's got a strong rating. Hey, dude, it was great. That was a great I show. I've never heard of this. It wasn't that great. It was only on for two years, 1976 to 1978. Well, I watched that show for at least That's five. What I really trust. I watched that show for at least five, even if it was only on for two years. <laughs> The Gospel According to Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, well, I don't know. Google's giving it 96%. Hmm, Rotten funny, Tomatoes man. isn't coming up. We need to look into that. It's a great show. Better than Black MASH? Sheep. Oh, MASH was lame compared oh. to Black Sheep Squadron. Right. More, more uh, Tour of Duty is another good one, but it, that was like during my time. Is it a prequel to Black Sheep starring Christopher or Chris Farley? <laughs> no. <laughs> <was> Christopher <laughs> no, Farley. That's Christopher his, Farley. That's his tax name. Proper name. Sorry. Uh, okay, mine, I'll go. Uh, huge Columbo fan, not black and white. Watch a lot of Columbo. Huge uh, fan of The Honeymooners, one of my all-time favorites, and Twilight Zone. I've been watching a lot of that lately. Yeah, Twilight Zone was pretty it's awesome. All of those, all the time. So, Okay, I think we did it. We talked a lot about leadership. This one was a little outside the box, uh, but we appreciate you hanging with us and uh, uh, sticking tight. If you have any questions, as always, you can email us at thegodlymanhoodpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call Emery personally. His phone number is 937. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, so thanks again for listening. If you have prayer requests, questions for us, or you want to throw a uh, speed dating question in for the end of the show, you can send that to us at that Gmail account. Yeah, that would be awesome to get some from the uh, audience. Yeah. Like, be super fun. Inquiring minds want to know. Anything you've ever wondered about David or Emery or me, write in. <laughs> we reserve the right to not read them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if it's... I got Marine buddies listening to this. I don't even want to think what they could do. Those are the questions I want asked. Yeah. (laughs) Those are going to be the entertaining ones. I'm not ashamed to not participate in fun. (laughs) I will happily not partake. All right, thanks for listening. Check us out again next week. Uh, Tell your friends, rate uh, the show. Give us a, what do you call it, a comment and a star rating that helps the show so more people can find it. And uh, tell your friends, thanks for listening to the Godly Manhood Podcast. Yeah, have a good week. Peace. Peace.